My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. This is like the fourth time I am starting this episode. Oh my goodness. I'm in such a strange space, but okay, let's just let's just start. First and foremost, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Welcome to episode 133. Let me show you around. <laughs> First, join our online family community on Instagram. We're at Legally Clueless Podcast. There is a link to the page in the show notes. If you want to share a story on this podcast, there's a link to that as well in the show notes. There's also a link to our YouTube channel, which I think you really ought to check out. In fact, we just posted the final episode from our tour series, which is the episode of when we were in Kisumu. Very special episode to me because we not only recorded such powerful stories, but it ends with me going home, home, like to my home, home. (laughs) I feel like Africans will get that. You know what I mean? So we went to like where my mom, my late mom rests. And, you know, you'll see my grandmother in that episode. She cooked a storm for us, like for 10,000 people. We were just four (laughs) and I think I talked about this in earlier episodes being able to just like duck and go sit by my mom's grave which was very emotional and I think that's probably one of the main reasons that's such a special episode for me so I think you should really check it out I think you'll enjoy it I've gotten very good feedback from people who've watched it already and it's it's I think the tour series for me, why I love it is that it was just so organic. We weren't setting out to put on a show. Everything I was experiencing, you were experiencing with me. It's, it just happened so organically. And, and I'm proud that it, it wasn't like forced. I didn't have to be anything other than myself. And yeah, go check it out. There's a link to our YouTube channel in the show notes. Speaking of the Kisumu episode, the story in this episode and actually next week's episode as well, because it's part one and part two, is one of the stories we recorded in Kisumu. Edna's story, listen to this. There was a club called Spree in Eldoret. So on this day, we go to the club, dancing, dancing. Then there's this tall, handsome Kiman came over. And those were the days for Kinamatonya, So we danced and danced and danced. He followed me out. So just as I was getting into the cab, he's like, hey, you've not given me your number. So I'm there, one foot in the cab, like, zero, seven, two, three. So there's also a clique of chicks. Now those chicks were in law school and they're dating. Med school guys. So I was finally part of that clique. Uh, a week later, so I learned that he had a son. He had a three-year-old son. We dated for like two years now. I'm getting into my fourth year. Then I find out I was pregnant. So I successfully hid my pregnancy for seven months. And my mom had met him. And you know, interestingly, the first time my mom met him, Aliniambia, this guy is not good for you. This guy is going to break your heart. And so in the graduation square, Vilewatu Ameka, me and they are very pregnant, looking like a frog. My skin had broken out I was ashy then I bumped into him and so he just looked at me head to toe and then he nodded I really enjoyed recording Edna's story I can't wait for you to hear part one of it a little later in this episode but before we get there ugh, I'm in such a weird space like even recording this is is much harder like it's normally not hard Ah, I don't know what's happening. Well, I do know what's happening. So I'm just going to put it out there. It's now I'm second guessing what I'm feeling. You know, when you're feeling something and you're trying to navigate it. And then now when it's time to talk about it, you're just like, oh, but maybe someone's navigating something that's much harder. But whatever. This is a safe space. It's been creeping up on me slowly, but I'm really 
battling feelings of inadequacy and like imposter syndrome and I thought I had it like locked down but I don't <laughs> I really don't and I think for me what's what's irking me is that it's not rational because right now there's nothing that I'm doing that I can say is like failing horribly and and making me feel bad about myself in in fact there's so many good things I'm doing. I mean, the tour series, you know, and a lot of stuff that I'm working on right now is really exciting. Even the partners I have are people who I started the year wanting to work with and now I'm working with them. So it's it's good stuff around me. And I guess that's what's frustrating. It's just like, chick, look around you. Like, why can't you tap into the good around you and, and the things that you're doing around you and stop feeling inadequate? But I can't, I can't shake it. And I think whew, it's even like, what would I say exhausting that's the word what's even exhausting is that you have these horrible thoughts going through your mind and you still have to show up you still have to you still have to show up and get work done because adulting right and I mean having a change of environment in Diani I was in Diani last week with Fal was good but I was still working like I was the only person at the hotel for like every breakfast I had my laptop there just responding to emails and blah 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 and I had to like schedule my day to have spaces where I was breathing but at the same time I was working on a shoot that I was getting right into as soon as I came back from Diani and so it was I don't know if you've ever experienced it like where you just want your mind to just shut up for two seconds you know what I mean it's like I have little toddlers in my head screaming constantly about how inadequate I am and I'm just like shh can you guys just for at least even 24 hours and yeah I think just voicing it that's that's it it's it's mentally exhausting to have to show up while trying to restructure those thoughts with all like the coping exercises that I know and things like that it's it's exhausting and then what happens is if I don't finish everything on my to-do list or I'm late sending something or whatever it reinforces that thought of inadequacy you know what I mean it's just it's really exhausting I'm mentally exhausted at my most busiest time of work and I apologize I think my neighbor just like increased the volume of her water pump like is that even possible how <sighs> surely but yeah and I know I've probably said this on the podcast before because maybe I hadn't experienced this particular moment and just shared about the importance of making time for rest making time to breathe blah 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 um I did not take my own advice clearly and it's 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 easier some moments to do that but then there's some moments where adulting is just demanding that you show up and when you are running your own business especially going into December I kind of have to hit certain revenue goals before January because first next year is an election year I don't really know how that's gonna go January is always like weird in terms of well this January was not bad but you know you just prepare because you you don't know January is normally very slow and so I wish these feelings came like earlier in the year I could I could deal with that or let them come in January <laughs> you know not right now I just even like right now I feel like I'm rambling I just you see like I've been second guessing whether I'm adequately telling you about my feelings of inadequacy like what is that <laughs> okay if this is a feeling that you've felt before and something 
worked something helped you i am all ears to hear what that thing was you can dm me whatever platform you're listening to this on or even on the legally clueless instagram page because i have to like (laughs) remain on the go until probably mid-december so my mind needs to just you know snap out of it Well, not snap out of it, but like we just need to navigate this, you know? Okay, enough downers. On to good things. Song of the week. This one I stumbled on while in Diani and our DJ was so awesome playing such lit music and one night we're on the dance floor, Fal has even gone to help him DJ or whatever, I don't know, we were just acting a fool and the DJ plays this particular song and I completely zone out. I don't know if you've ever felt that i think it's only happened to me like at festivals or when a particular artist who i love is performing and i just like get lifted by their song or their performance i don't think it's ever happened on a dance floor well until now and i had to run to the dj's laptop to just be like what song is that and got the name and jotted it down so i could share it with you it's called summer yomuthi i hope i'm pronouncing that right and it's by black diamond i have no idea what this song is about (laughs) none whatsoever but there's just something something about the vibe that is just so lifting you kind of like forget everything around you for a while well at least for me so i don't know if that's gonna happen for you why don't you try listening to it there is a link to the song in the show notes let's jump into 100 african stories this is a story we recorded in kisumu i am so thankful to edna she came from the neighboring kakameka came to kisumu shared this powerful story and i think we recorded it for like an hour and a half so i've divided it into part one part two so part two will come out next week but part one is in this episode and it's really edna's story about her her baby daddy his baby mama and a curious case of character development a hundred african stories on legally clueless coming to you from the road we partnered with African No Filter to take this podcast on tour to Nakuru, Kisumu, Mombasa, and Nairobi, bringing you powerful and inspiring African stories. So my name is Edna, Edna Ayeko. My name is Luo, but I'm not Luo. I was named after my grandmother. Um, I come from Kakameka County, specifically a village called, in Butere, a village called Eshishewu. <laughs> Right in the middle of Butere. I am uh, 36 years old, um, a lawyer by profession, a mother to a 12-year-old boy. I went to university in the year 2005. I joined Moi University for my LLB. And uh, because I was quite a sheltered child, I'm, I'm, I'm my mother's only daughter. So I was amongst boys, very sheltered. I had those curfews for, for that ukweapa, nini so I found myself in uni and I was a fish out of water. So uni was fun, 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 fun. So that was the time to drink. I had my first drink when I was in uni. The first time I went to a club, I was in uni. My first boyfriend was in uni. So I was, you know, yay. Now, the difference was that when I went to Moe, our law school was a pioneer class in law school. So our campus was in some village, village area. So we didn't quite get the campus experience because there were no hostels. So guys used to live all over town so you're not really living in hostels so it wasn't confined uni was was fun the usual skiving <laughs> skiving school you know kudanganya um, mumenda trip you've been told to buy some book that doesn't exist so when i was in uh, my third year i remember there was a club called spree in eldoret i think it's still there so spree was a club everyone used to go to and so on this 
I think it was a Friday. So I went out with my friends, went to spree. And because we are in, uh, we are broke, campus broke people, it meant when it was time to leave the club, you all had to leave so that you'd done here one cab and pay 20, 20 bob each. It was about 200 bob. So you just had a cab and head home. So on this day, we got to the club, dancing, dancing. Then there's this tall, handsome Kiman came over. And those were the days for Kinamatonya, so we danced and danced and danced. And now my boys told me it's time to go. Interestingly, I used to hang out with boys. And so I was always in a, in a gang of boys. So they tell me, yeah, we need to go, we need to go. And so I leave this guy dancing and I'm, I'm you know, looking for my small pass. I'm like, we need to go, the cab is waiting. So I had a bit of a Cinderella moment because now when you got to the cab, this guy was, he followed me out. So just as I was getting into the cab, he's like, hey, you've not given me your number. So I'm there one foot in the cab, like zero, seven, two, three. So the cab, the cab left. So I'd, I'd given him my, my number, just nearly shout and I left. So I went home, um, life continued. And I think uh, three days later, I get a call from this guy. It's like, hi, it's uh, so-and-so, remember me? I'm like, from where? Which one? That one, I, I'm like, oh, you remembered my number. So I'm so-and-so, I'm in med school. Um, what do you do? So you know, it's a club meeting, so there's no discussion of what are you doing, where, where do you study? So now we're like, oh, you're in law school. Oh, I'm in med school. Um, he was doing his uh, fourth year then. And so we should meet up, whatever. I'm like, hmm, okay. And see, at the end of the day, the idea is to, to date higher, you know? So I'm like, med school, okay, not bad. And so we met up and it was fun. He was a fun guy. And fun and also what I liked about him was he was not... He was not the typical guy for Kampuati, let's go drink, let's do what. He was like, now it's morning, wake up, let's go to the library, let's study. And then we sit, study a bit, he's like, hmm, we are bored now, let's go see you buy food. So I was, I was married already. <laughs> Two weeks later, I was married to a med school guy. And that was the ultimate goal. So there's also a clique of chicks now, those chicks were in law school and they're dating. Med school guy, so I was finally part of that clique. And so that went on. So uh, a week later, so I learned that he had a son. He had a three-year-old son. So I was like, hey, now I'm already being a stepmother at 20, at 20 or 22. I'm like, uh, what happened? So he told me he'd met a girl the first day he'd that gone to med school. So they were taken to the hospital for visits and whatever, spotted a girl. Things happened. The next time the girl called her, she was pregnant. So they had a son. And the mother to the child was also in med school. So now they've been in med school for three years together. They are trying to co-parent as students. So the boy is there, I didn't mind him. Once in a while they'd come to my place with him. It was, it was normal, I didn't sit out. So people were like, hey, how would you be a stepmother at this point? You know you're a stepmother, I'm like, no. But now this lady sort of didn't give us peace at the time of our relationship. Like she would show up at random places. Like you've gone for swimming, you'll just see her with the child. Hey, what do you think? He's thinking seeing you here. Wana fikiria babayake? Akonanani, what? Are you confusing the boy? So she pulled those stunts for so long. So she was, always in our space, or you're chilling with him in his room, she'd show up, she's like, hey, you know, you're supposed to give me money for CG what? So that happened. So that lady, let's put her aside because she's a big part of this story. So we dated for like two years now. I'm getting into my fourth year. Then I find out I was pregnant. And so I called him. In fact, I found out I was pregnant in a club because no, it's still that campus. You're still running around all over. So I'm telling my friends, okay, I'm not feeling well. They're like, you, you always have pregnancy scares. This is nothing. That makes you go buy a kit and pima. You know, in the middle of clubbing. So we went, got a kit. First one positive. I'm like, oh my God, you guys, it's positive. We did a second one. Oh my God. 
So we are just there now all huddled up together. We are crying. We are laughing. Like we should go to med school and tell him. We should tell him and see what he's going to do. It's probably nine in the night or whatever. And because now if you've been to Eldoret, med school is literally in town. It's two, five minutes away from where we were. And so we go to his hostel. He's just there chilling, reading his two books, listening to music on his computer. I've shown up with like five girls. We're like, mm, she's pregnant, you know. <laughs> Then he's like, what's all this? Why have you come with so much drama? I'm a yoha, you go sleep. We'll talk about this tomorrow. So the week that followed was, was hey, I'm so excited. I think it's a boy. And then he'd call you again. Now, hey, I feel like we are too young. I don't think we should have a baby right now. Then he'll chill a bit. Okay, no, it's a boy. So, you know, it's that whole, today it's this, tomorrow it's this. And I remember at one point he called me out for lunch. He took me out for lunch. And so we are chilling and he gave me... He had something in a, 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 a tissue paper and he told me, you take this. He just ran them across the table. Then he's like, now this pills you. You take one, uh, put it under your tongue. After six hours, there's this other one you'll insert in your privates. Again, within an hour or so, the abortion process will start. So I'm like, eh, okay, now we are, we are here again. I told him, no, me, I'm not going to do that. So we had a lot of back and forth, back and forth. I remember that time, I'm sitting my final papers in fourth year that year so i told him let me just sit my exams and then we'll come back and have this discussion still doing that thing for how are you are you fine are you okay do you want anything should i send you fruits then the next time you should you should have taken those pills the way so it was that constant back and forth and so i finished my exams and i really don't know what i was waiting for i think i was waiting for a signal from him like now this is i don't know if i wanted to move into his hostel i don't know and so my dad tells me where mama you finished school where am I still paying rent? You, you start your final exams. You started clearing. That time my parents were living in Mombasa. Come back home. So I go and tell him, hey, boss, now um, I'm supposed to go home. Like, see you go. You know, <laughs> see you when they home. So I'm like, of course I'm going to go home. But now, what is this? Like me, I've told you what I've, I've said, what I've said. So you make, you are more. And so I went back home. And I've always been big. I've never been those skinny. I think last time I was skinny, I was in class too. But this time I was having nausea, I was sick 24-7. And so by the time my mom sees me and it's like, my mom is like, whatever you're doing, mama is working. You are losing weight, you're looking so nice. I'm just there thinking, hey, if only, you know. So I successfully hid my pregnancy for seven months, just in my mom's house. Seven months, I'm just chilling, nothing is happening. And then one day I felt like I couldn't do it. But you see, I was, I was buying small little clothes and hiding them in my room and doing this and that. And my mom is an FBI, so she'd seen them. But she knows I love kids. So I think she convinced herself that I was doing this for something. I have a friend who's expecting or whatever. She never imagined it could be me because I was the innocent one. I don't go anywhere. I don't do anything. I'm just chilling, quiet, no, no going out. So she, I think both of them never expected that from me. And so one day I got tired of hiding, you know, and wearing baggy clothes. And only our house helped knew I was expectant. Because at that time, all I wanted was beans in coconut sauce and chapo. So the minute my mom left, I would tell auntie, auntie, and then she was from Mombasa. So she'd make nice whatever's for me and I'd eat. So she's the only person who knew about that. So one day I got tired of hiding. So of course I told my, my pastor about it. My pastor told my parents. And trust me, there was no bash. There was no congratulations, well done, daughter of mine, none of that. It was hell from that point. <laughs> so fast forward. So this guy, I'm still talking to him. I'm like, hey, this is happening. 
And my dad said, you know what, me, I don't want anything from this guy. Can you just show his face at least to show that I am responsible? That's it. I don't want him to marry you. I don't want his money. I want nothing from him. And my, my, my dad called me mama because he named me after his mother. And so he'd come and tell me, mama, what have you done? You see now, you should be looking for work right now. Here you are. My mom on the other side is giving me hell. Yani. <laughs> There's no resting point. And my mom had met him. And you know, interestingly, the first time my mom met him, Aliniambia, this guy is not good for you. This guy is going to break your heart. The first time. So I'm just thinking, mm, well, what do you know? What, what, what do you know? <laughs> so this was like uh, probably two, three years later. Now this is, maybe two years later, this is happening. And so mom is like, it's that Mukisi guy. See, yeah, see, I told you. And so fast forward now. We are now in December. I was due on the 23rd of December. My graduation day was the 19th of December. And because now he had one more year of med school, he also, me and him graduated on the same day. My brother as well. So we were three people who knew each other closely on that day. And so in the graduation square, Vilewatu Omeka, me and they are very pregnant, looking like a frog. My skin had broken out. I was ashy. Then I bumped into him. And so he just looked at me, head to toe. And then he nodded. I didn't say a word. So I went, um, graduated, of course. And three days later, I was in hospital. So baby came. It was a very lonely experience. Because now you see you've disappointed your parents. All your friends now have graduated. You think they are there waiting for you to give birth. They are out partying, doing what? So it's a very lonely experience. And so when the baby was... Now when I got my son, I don't think I had that moment. You know, so their mother said, oh my God, he's so precious, my baby, my... I didn't have that. Because now you see when my boy was born... No one tells you that when you have a natural, but sometimes your kid comes out with a deformed head and suddenly so I'm like, why is his head like this? So, so who is the mother to this person, you know? And then I'm like, God, Yanni, you've met this man, Hepa, me, and now you've given me a deformed child. I didn't have those wow moments. And then this mama who comes with the notification, the birth notification, you have to sign it on that day. So it's like mother's name, father's name. And what are you going to call this boy? So because I'm very selfish, my name is an E name. I knew I was going to give him an E name. So I knew his name was going to be Ethan. But I didn't know what else to call him. And so I remember calling him. I was like, hey, hi. And uh, while all this happened, we still talk. Once in a while, he's good. He'd actually call. Hi, how, how are you doing? How is everything? So I tell him, no, we never discussed what names you're going to give this boy. And he told me, I've never forgotten those words. He told me, you can call that thing whatever you want to call it. And so I sat there, man. And I didn't know. I, I, I hadn't thought. I just thought of Ethan. I didn't know there were other names that would, should come after that name. And so I just thought of my grandfather in the village. He's called Japheth. So I threw in that Japheth there. Then I thought of my father's name and threw those three names and just sat and I was like, those are the names. And by later, my father telling me, see, hey, you just have gotten another one now, Japheth. And I'm like, no, I didn't have any other name. And so that's, that happened. And so, and because then again, having um, being brought up in a family where everything is systematic it's a b c d so this getting a baby was not going to stop me from doing what i was supposed to do so this is december in january i'm meant to i was meant to join kenya school of law so there's no time i had like two weeks two weeks to be a mother to go back to being a student and so when my son was five days old we, we moved to nairobi with him and i moved to umoja gosh and uh, got like a tiny bed sitter. So it was me, him, and a house help. And so it's that hassle of going to Karen every day to law school and trying to be a mother. And it was crazy. And his friends, because we had, his friends were now my friends. And some of his friends would even come and visit, visit us in Umoja. And they're like, oh my God, this boy just looks like his dad. And said, you what's the situation? So he kept getting a lot of information even through his friends. So I tried, I think I was very petty then. 
Because now I also realized this guy had finally finally cleared and he'd gotten a job at uh, Thika Level 5 Hospital. And things were not easy for me at that point. Because my parents did not give me a soft landing. No, 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 no. It was hell. You made a choice. This is what it means to be a mother. So I hustled through that, that, that season of my life. Eventually reached out to him at some point. I was like, hey, man, you need to help me out with this, with this kid. And then he tells me, um, you see this woman, this woman that I mentioned earlier. And at that time, you know, they had broken up completely. This woman had found her way back into his life, or so I was told. And now they were both living together in Thika. And uh, I don't know if at that time they were expecting another child or whatever the situation was. And so we went through, to cut the story short, we went through the whole process of the court process. We went through DNA testing and all those things. And so by the time my son was turning three, he had now fully come back into his life. And I, I, interestingly, I didn't hold any grudges. I wasn't mad at what had happened. And I think for me, from the word go, my biggest fight was for my son to have an identity to have his father, to know his people. Because on my end, there was no soft landing. So I needed him to have his people. So around this time, I got a job at um, Amref in Magadi. And for the first time, I had some little money. And I'm saying I was very petty because I remember committing my first salary to, to harassing him, so to speak. And so I got a lawyer in Nairobi and sent the demand letters. We went through the entire process. But you see, his, problem, his issue in court was that this is not my child. This is not my child. This is not my child. And I remember we had a fantastic magistrate who said, you know, there's no woman who just walks around this earth claiming someone is responsible for their child, you know. And he was, he was better placed financially than I was. So the court ordered him to pay for the DNA test and then you take it up from there. And so he actually paid for the DNA test. Results were out, I think, in a week. I remember us meeting. He's like, oh, this is my boy. Whatever. <laughs> and so from that point, he took charge. And I didn't care what was happening in his life, whether he had seven wives. It was not my business as long as my son was taken care of and also gave me room now to grow my career. And so that happened. And interestingly, within two, three years, we'd become the best of friends. And co-parenting was working very well. And so then I moved from Nairobi and got a job in Kakamega. So I moved to Kakamega, of course, with my son and started my life here in Kakamega. And then he would come. He'd come. You know, initially when you're co-parenting, it's those things for, let me take the child to a petrol station and you pick him from there or in front of the butter next to the, you know. So it got to a point it became, it was okay. He'd come to my house, pick the boy, got into a point where his wife and him and his kids, they would go on holiday with my son. You know, we had gotten to a very good point and I'd call the wife, how is Ethan doing? Does he need anything? The wife would call me, Ethan is here. So it was perfect. Now come uh, 2018. 2018 was a very good year for me. So I'd finally settled in my career. I'd even set up two offices. I was doing well. My son was doing well. And my birthday falls on July. So I decided I'm going to throw myself a major bash for my 33rd birthday. And at the same time, I was dating some fantastic uh, Luo man. You know Luo man? <laughs> and so this Jaluo was doing things I've never seen before and being super nice to me. And he was in the same line of work with me. So we bonded and we had such a beautiful relationship. And so on the, on the very day that I was throwing my birthday was the day my son had a sports day in school. And it was being held at uh, Buhungu, that's a stadium in Kakamega. And so his father called me. And prior to that, he had gotten a good job in Congo. So he'd been working in Congo for almost four, five years at that point. So he calls me and says, I'm, I'm back, I'm in the country. I want to come for Ethan's sports day. I say, yeah, that would be nice. And so he traveled and came all the way. That time there's stuff happening in my house. So the Lua boyfriend has gotten boozy, there's drinks, there's, you know, I had three birthday cakes, the whole nine yards. So I'm now thinking, hmm, this guy, 
he's here. We've been having great conversation. And amongst the conversations, he knows about, now I'm dating someone else, he knows about this guy. And I know his, his life, how things are not working out or not working out. I knew everything about his life. And so we had gotten to a point where he'd call me and say stuff like, Aki, I met this chick, I think she's hot. He's there in Congo telling me those things. So we used to have all kinds of this. He'd become like a friend once more. And so he told me, eh, my marriage is not working. We are going through issues, blah, blah, blah. But I've met this lady. I think I should marry her. You know, those very deep conversations. And so now he's come to Kakamega. So this guy is in the house waiting for me. This guy is at school um, at my son's sports day. I tell him now, now that you're here, I don't need to be here. I have guests in the house. You, you finish up with Ethan, then come to the house. And so we had a full-blown party, and now there were two men at the party. Ethan's dad is sitting somewhere at a corner, and this Mjaluo sponsor of the party is also there. So my friends are just telling me, wow, you are a pro. How are you doing this? So I'm like, as long as I'm not talking to either of them, this will be fine. And so the, 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 the party went on, and this guy used to live in Kisumu, so he came back to Kisumu. I stayed home with Ethan's dad, so we started talking tells me stories about his life and how things are working and not working and blah, blah, blah. I don't think at that point he brought up the issue of me and him getting back together. That time we are counting, it's 10 years. 10 years of probably not even giving each other a hug. It's 10 years of kauko and I sit here, you know. So it, was nev it never even crossed my mind that this could be a possibility. And so he goes back home. And I, I asked him, by the way, what happened to Congo? How, how would, why would you leave such a job? And he says, on, a, on, on the day he was to travel back to Congo, his wife hid his passport. Okay? And then uh, by the time he was trying to get another passport, renew passport, whatever, by the time he was going to Congo, he was fired. So he'd come back home to nothing. He didn't have a job. But around the same time, he'd uh, gotten an offer to go study in Italy. He'd gotten a, a, a scholarship. Yeah, so he needed to pay a little bit of money. And he goes to Italy. So I even tried to changa some money for him. This is my friend, I mean. And then when he had money, he used to throw money my way, random, whatever. So I got some money for him, and he went to Italy. Um, went to Italy, didn't stay for long. Probably it was four months, five months, whatever. No, it was shorter than that, because I remember seeing him in August of that year. I think I got this story. But anyway, at some point he was in Italy. And so, because we had gotten to a good place of co-parenting, my son would sometimes go, we'd share holidays. Like, I have him in April, you have him in August, December. Selfishly, that was my time. And so this August, my son went to visit him. And each time my son went to visit, he'd go with my house help. Because I didn't want him to go there and come back. So, gee, he didn't shower, he didn't brush his teeth. So he always went with my house help. And then he called me. Um, when are you coming to Nairobi? You should come. We need to talk. And at that time, being the woman or the fool that I was, I kept thinking, now oh, this little guy, he's nice. He's great. But he's not telling me what I want to hear. What do I want to hear? I want to hear. I don't know. Even right now, if you ask me, I don't know what I wanted to hear. But I wanted to know that he wants to be with me, you know, like he wants um, to be more serious in this relationship. And I'm thinking this guy is now hinting on the other side, like, this is it. You know, I was reading something the other day and I was, uh, it was saying that um, you cannot hear the voice of God when already in your mind you already, you, you already think you know what you want him to say. So when God is speaking, it's not even God, it's you. And then you're like, this is God. This must be, this must be God. And so I went to Nairobi to visit. A, a week before I went to visit, he'd called me from the supermarket and he says, me, I've walked out of this marriage. I'm actually out here buying plates and cups and I'm small maker, me, I'm leaving, blah, blah, blah. And at that point, I was telling him, it's okay, you'll be fine. It was not from a point of, now this is my turn. <laughs> it was more like, from everything you've told me, <laughs> if this is what is going to give you peace, then go for it. And so I went to Nairobi, and I went to his house. He just moved to a tiny two-bedroom house, and all he had was a television and a PlayStation and a bunch of mattresses. And for him, he loves kids. So he always has, now, from his marriage, now he has three children. 
this first boy that they had two children and then his sisters two kids were with him and my son so at that point in the house there were six children that gave him peace that gave him joy just coming home to kids daddy uncle whatever and so i stayed there um on on friday i was going coming back to kamega on sunday so friday saturday so saturday he calls me and asks me what are you doing very panicky like what are you doing i'm like i'm just chilling in the house he's like um this this lady is coming she's coming like coming to do what the son now the older son has told her that you are in the house and she's not having that so she's coming so i'm like okay let her come so me get in the house she he came um probably 10 minutes later he was in the house followed closely by this lady and no she's such a tiny lady 40 45 kg is very tiny and so she comes in filming and i was sitting somewhere just seated somewhere in the sitting room my my niece was there so I was combing her hair and whatever the kids were going out to that place on langata where they ride go karts jeep mm, karting yes so they were getting ready their dad and uncle was taking them and so she comes and sits next to me on the arm of the chair and she says we need to talk and i ask her just to talk about what um what are you doing here with my husband and then me i'm just combing this kids hair i'm like mm-hmm, not today you know combing her hair and then she says um i told her you know what if you have any issue why don't you talk to your husband i was invited here i didn't want drama and in the in the middle of that sentence you took one of those pads from the playstation and she threw it across the the room and hit the tv and the tv broke so the kids are there it's getting crazy me i'm like get the kids out of here get them out of this mess and she goes she gets dramatic and the, the insults you know you unmentionable <laughs> me i'm just there quiet laughing as about i was even laughing i was like wow and so he managed to escort her out of the house and now i i always feel like that was red flag number one. this lady had not left and so months later now this is october i get um i had an interview in nairobi it was a job i was applying for in uh, one of these organizations that works with refugees and so i go to nairobi for my interview njaluo graciously takes me to the airport i go to nairobi i sit my interview and i was living, staying at my brother's house and so my brother's wife and her sister were also there and so we used to enjoy evening prayers singing together nini nini remember that night we were praying we were like hey you should get this job and because my my sister in law's sister and myself are the single ones god we even praying for good men you know um so we prayed and i came back to kakamega so my life changed within i think four days my life had changed completely because i landed in nairobi in kakamega in kisumu on my way to kakamega i got a call and i'm told come back tomorrow you need to start training you've gotten the job so i'm thinking okay what about my offices what about my son's school what 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 about but it was an interesting job uh, something i really wanted to do and so within one week i was back in nairobi for training and the day i landed like this i was told now you've gotten the job but you're going to be posted in garissa i'm thinking hey garissa tena then they told me you remember the interview they asked you if you can work in a hardship area that is that hardship area so i'm thinking garissa you know i'm just thinking of bombs and people killing me you know al shabab and as i was walking out of because now the place is in uh, lovington so very close to my brothers i was just walking back to the house and he calls me he being my son's father and says now i've been thinking i feel like you and i can have a relationship i think we should get back together raise the kids you know king on the road you're just like <laughs> and then uh, so what 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 <laughs> That time you see you know that thing for God God this is this must be God this must be God and so I went home I told my sister in law guess guess what guess who has called me and so I felt like things were aligning because now I'm going to Garissa 
I didn't know where Garissa was, but I knew it wasn't very far from Thika. I knew now that Ethan was moving to a new class. Everything looked like it made sense. I remember talking to my sister-in-law and she told me, you know, you've not done the, known this guy for long. Ten years is a long time. He's not that guy you used to know. My opinion would be, get your job in Garissa, get your house in Nairobi, come over the weekends, let him date you or date him, get to know him again. Madam I'm thinking, hey, why are you telling me this? You are married. I, this, is my, this is my opportunity. So I called him again. I was like, yeah, imagine I've gotten that job and it's in Garissa. He tells me, come, let me take you to Garissa. Have you been to Garissa? Like, no, that time it's one in the afternoon. He's like, let's go to Garissa. I'm just like, oh, wow. Oh, the things I've been praying for, huh? <laughs> so we get into the car and we drove to Garissa at one in the afternoon. We, don't, we didn't even know where Garissa was. We just knew the direction. We got to Mingi. We were like, oh my God, this is Garissa. We are taking photos. Someone tells us, Garissa, bando, bando. So we went to Garissa. It was such a road trip for us because at some point uh, the engine got spoiled. We had to ride in a, this, what are they called, breakdown vehicles. Spent the night in Garissa. He took me to my new office. I met. So he spent the night in Garissa. He took me to my new office. It's like, mm, doesn't seem bad. You come to Garissa. And so we are saying Garissa is not so far. It's like four, five hours. Let's say five hours from Thika to Garissa. So you can easily be doing this trip. I say, hey, God, thank you. Thank you. And so because I didn't have time to do much, I just had to come to Kakamega and pack a few of my clothes because there's not even time to move because you have two weeks to report to your new station. And so that, that began my life as a, <laughs> as a stepmother of many and uh, a wife again. And I think because I had been auditioning all my life to be a wife, this was now my, <laughs> my opportunity to showcase my skills. And you know our mothers, you know, they're like, hey, okay, and make sure as you this and this happens, make sure this and that, this is God, you know. So there's also a lot of God from other people. This is God's doing. And so got there. First of all, I'm very confused because now I have one child who is very organized. I know I, how he wants I want my stuff done. Now I find myself with six children, his, uh, mine, and his sister's children. I'm just thinking, wow, what, now what, what is this? So I called my mom, I remember I called, called her and she said, Apana, you know, these children, yako. you must love those children, take care of them, don't complain, even if they're making, you know, you'd call and say, he's like, get someone to clean, don't let that be an issue. My mom found everything, you know, he's a nice man. A hundred African stories. The Legally Clueless 2021 tour powered by African No Filter. We're traveling through Kisumu, Nakuru, Mombasa, and Nairobi, bringing you real, raw, and inspiring African stories. I hope you enjoyed Edna's story thus far. My goodness. If you think that is like a roller coaster of a story, I can't wait for you to hear part two, which will be in next week's episode, episode 134. And Edna's story was recorded while we were in Kisumu. So bits of her story are in the video episode. So you can head over there and you'll see Edna live live <laughs> sharing this movie of a story of hers. But she's got such good energy and is such a survivor. I can't wait for you to hear part two. Now, speaking of the video series, do check out our YouTube channel. A link to that is in the show notes. Head over there, like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and most importantly, which you always do so well, share our video series with your community. I am currently trying to figure out season two of the video series. Definitely going to have that out before the end of the year, which should be super fun. So before we get there, just share what's already on the channel. Yeah, 
I'm very proud of, of our YouTube channel. I'm proud of the work that we're putting in there. And if you're new to this podcast, audio episodes go out every single Monday. So make sure you're always ready to start off your week right with us. And lastly, this podcast plays on Trace Radio in Kenya. And so if you head over to traceradio.co.ke, you can get a list of all the frequencies of Trace in the country. And you can also stream Trace there. So you'll catch Legally Clueless on Trace every Monday and Wednesday at 12 noon and 11 p.m. and every Friday at 12 noon. Okay, I'm going to end this episode here because I have to do some preparations for a very fun project stroke travel thing that's coming up with a podcast. I'm so excited about it, but I've been sworn to secrecy. And I have to prove whoever swore me to secrecy wrong because they were like, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be able to keep this to yourself. So I have to like, in fact, you know what? I've already said too much. Can I just end this episode right here? That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.